The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. I'm joined by the Minister for Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science and Justice, that being Minister Simon Harris. And the Minister has been uh, critical this weekend of um, the Sinn Féin tendency to take uh, legal action. We were discussing this earlier on. He tweeted, where is the line, Mary Lou? This is in respect of the decision to um, take defamation action if they believe that their good names have been uh, impinged upon. We will get to that in a minute because what I want to ask him about first is the response to one of the tweets in the string that followed that, which went, Sir, will you serve in government with them after the next election if you are re-elected and chosen by your leader to be a minister? One word answer, no. You're going to quit if, if Fine Gael goes into government with Sinn Féin. Well, I'm not going to have to because... Well, first, you have to ask the people of Wicklow to re-elect me. Uh, but I'm not going to have to because the party position is extraordinarily clear and I've yet to meet... Anybody in Fine Gael, uh, any minister, any TD, any senator, any councillor, any party member uh, who wishes to go into government with Sinn Féin. And you know what? That's OK. Uh, Sinn Féin you, have... I don't recall there being a huge cohort of Fine Gael people who wanted to go into, fin- into government with Fianna Fáil, But we are where we are. That's true, but it's fundamentally different here. I mean, the position in relation to Fine Gael on Sinn Féin is really clear. And I'm sure there's many people in Sinn Féin, by the way, who don't want to go into government with Fine Gael. This is a healthy thing in a democracy. Like, heaven forbid, you go out, you have an election, you ask the people of Ireland which vision for the country they wish to vote for, they vote for it, and then you form a government on the basis of that. There's many people in this country who wish to vote Sinn Féin in the next election. There's many people who wish not to vote for Sinn Féin in the next election. And what we're very clearly saying in Fine Gael is that we'll go before the electorate, we'll set out our policies as we do in every election, and we will ask people to vote for us, and we will endeavour then to form a government after the election and if people choose Sinn Féin that's their choice too so it's giving the people people, a choice If people choose a potential combination of yourselves I mean this is a bit like the expulsion of the ambassador your government has been telling us you need to keep these lines of communication open and it is only through conversation that we achieve consensus and that we can move things along in the same way if the numbers say that people would be satisfied with a coalition between yourselves and Sinn Féin why not? Because it would be incoherent from a policy point of view I mean government Politics and government is fundamentally about policy. And can you agree a programme for government? Can you agree a policy platform? And Fine Gael and Sinn Féin are chalk and cheese when it comes uh, to policy positions. And like I say, that is OK. I fundamentally oppose a lot of Sinn Féin policy. I'm sure they have different views in relation to ours. And elections are about choices. And I actually think the next election is going to be really exciting because there's actually going to be a genuine choice on offer for the people of this country. And in many ways, I see it as, and this is my view of the world, but I mean, I see it as a choice between the centre holding uh, and a centrist government being re-elected or a populist government being elected. And we'll have those, we'll have those battles, we'll have those debates and then the people will decide. Do you therefore think that um, Fianna Fáil is, is being cowardly in their willingness to um, consider the notion of a, a coalition with um, Sinn Féin if they are as ideologically separate from them as Fianna Gale, in essence. No, I mean, firstly, it's not for me in any way, shape or form to speak for them, for Fianna Fáil. We're working well in government, a three-party coalition. Um, I'd ultimately, I think that's a government that has gotten a lot done. Um, it's a government that's got a busy programme of work. And I'm and sure... a huge housing crisis that you're going to face on the doorsteps. 
Yeah, but also an awful lot of people buying their first homes, Anton. I mean, there's now 500 people a week buying their first home. Uh, there's now more houses built this year than at any time in the last decade. Um, we're ahead. I remember this time last year, people saying, actually, the government hit their housing targets this year, but you'll never hit them. You'll never hit them next year. We're likely to exceed them again this year. We're actually going to increase our housing targets. So accepting that housing is a major challenge, I do genuinely think And will think be when you're knocking to... on doors. Even if you are saying those stats are in the right direction, mm. Sinn Féin can point to them and say, we still have tens of thousands of people who cannot get a house and that's your fault. Well, I, I think when it comes to an election, people will also say, what are you going to do about it, Sinn Féin? And I, I did listen to Deputy McDonald's uh, Ardesh speech last night where she told us a number of times, we have a plan. We have a plan on this. We have a plan on that. At some point, heaven forbid, people will actually start saying, listen, what is the plan? Can you explain to us? Because I, I'm the Minister for Skills. I'm the Minister with responsibility for apprenticeships, with responsibility for making sure we have enough people to build our homes. We need 50,000 more people to build in construction. So whether you're in Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Labour, the Greens, you're facing the same constraints that any government will face in terms of supply, in terms of construction, in terms of construction inflation, in terms of a skilled workforce. So there will be a moment in time when an election is called where people just don't just say, well, how's the current government doing? They'll also say, well, hang on a what is the alternative? Drill down through it because give me a slogan or a tweet uh, or anger, that's not going to help my son or daughter buy a house. And, and that's where I'm really looking forward to getting to because I think when we do get there, I think we'll see that the opposition's a bit threadbare. Well, undoubtedly, Owen O'Brien will point to a lot of the documents that they have published outlining both the plan in terms of the phase delivery and how they are going to do that. Uh, and I, I should point that out in, in his absence. Sure. Um, the other thing then, the, the tweet that began that thread was your criticism of Mary Lou MacDonald in relation to the defamation actions taken by members of Sinn Féin. Why shouldn't Sinn Féin take defamation action against people if they believe that they have been besmirched? Oh, so to be really clear, anybody can seek recourse to the courts. There's no doubt about that, whether you're in Sinn Féin, whether you're not, that, that, that's absolutely beyond doubt. Um, when I was Minister for Justice, I published draft legislation to reform our defamation laws and that needs to happen because I do think our current defamation laws are wholly inadequate and my colleague Minister McEntee uh, will legislate next year to overhaul defamation. The point I was making though is this, there are ways, you know, we're all in politics, we're all big boys and big girls, things get written about us, sometimes we like them, more often than not we don't, that's fine. This country has a robust and a free media and if something gets written about you in a newspaper or said about you on a radio station, there are ways of going about it that don't involve running to the High Court, that don't involve putting a chilling factor and certainly don't involve individually suing a journalist. So whatever about suing a media organisation and not advocating for that, I think it's particularly chilling to actually sue a journalist individually. And the point I was trying to make uh, to Deputy MacDonald, I'm sure she doesn't take my counsel, but the point I was trying to make was there is a press counsel and the press ombudsman herself has commented on the fact that there are structures in place. And I do think any politician should think long and hard before taking but where any you member use of the, the word, media. Where you use the word chilling, could uh, somebody who believes themselves wronged not use a word like a correct vindication? That if whatever about there being a press council, you can say, well, yeah, it's grand, I'll get an apology and that makes no difference. If I believe that I'm fundamentally wronged, the way that I vindicate my good name is through the courts. I don't think it's the first lever a politician should pull. Um, and I do think it has the effect of making media say, oh, hang on a second, if we're going to cover that party, um, they might sue us. And, and I mean, I really genuinely genuinely think now it's having a chilling effect um, in relation to uh, media and potential media coverage of a party that is leading in the opinion polls. I mean, if there, this is a party that wishes to be in government, you've got to get ready for a bit of scrutiny. Uh, that's what happens in Irish politics. And like I'm saying, of course, people have a right to go to the courts. There's no doubt about that. That's an absolute right in a democracy. But doesn't mean it's a lever you have to pull and it certainly shouldn't be pulled lightly or as frequently as it seems to be pulled by some parties. Let us talk about your area of brief, that being further and higher education, mm. research, innovation, science and justice. To the, the further and higher education part of that, the university rankings uh, have us now 
that I think we have one university in the top 100, which is Trinity, in around 81. Uh, by comparison, you look at Singapore, I think it is two in the top 20, one in the top 10. You only have to look across the Irish Sea to see Manchester and Edinburgh in, uh, I think, top 20. Why do we lag so badly and does it matter? I don't think it matters is the, is the God's honest answer. I mean, I'm pleased to see that most universities, so not to contradict myself, on the one hand, most universities are now actually improving in rankings. On the other hand, what rankings are is a moment in time and a very limited amount of criteria, not dismissing it. But for example, when you've, you talk about Trinity College Dublin, the thing I'm most proud about in relation to Trinity College Dublin isn't the fact that it's in its top 100. It's the fact, it's the fact that I was at the 20th anniversary of the Trinity Centre for People with Intellectual Disabilities and that we're now running programmes in Irish universities to help kids who become adults with an intellectual disability get a third level qualification. So for me, and I think for government and I think for Irish society, inclusion access, accessibility, regional development yeah, matters more. All of more. which is laudable. But if you look at the kind of and criteria important. that apply in terms of university rankings, they are things like the publications and research done by those who are within the faculty. They are things like significant academic prizes, Nobel Prizes in some instances, won by faculty members. They are things like the significance of the capacity of those universities to get jobs mm. at very high level in industry and influential position. They all mean something. They are all significant. And we are getting absolutely lathered by Oxford, by Cambridge, by MIT, by Yale, by Princeton, by Harvard, by the Sorbonne, by everybody, we are laggards. Uh, no, I certainly don't think we are. And I think by any, by any objective standard, if you want to look at the rankings, um, for the last number of years now, Ireland is improving in the rankings. And one of the areas that I think we should be concerned of in relation to rankings, and I think is a legitimate warning sign, is the staff-student ratios. And last year was the first year in many years that we actually saw the ratios improve because we put 1,500 additional staff into the third level sector. We'll do the equivalent this way. So I am, I am confident that we will see progress in relation to it. However, I'm also really clear from a policy point of view that it's not the most important metric at all. Does so, it not matter for multinationals, for FDI? Do they not look at it? I, I think they, I'm sure they do to some degree, but they also want to know when they come to Ireland and let's say they want to open a, a, a factory or a business in Sligo, they want to know the fact that there's now actually, Sligo is now a university county, that there's now a technological university in Sligo, that they can sit down and under a law, the university is mandated to help co-design and develop programmes with industry. So, I mean, Ireland has gone for an education policy that is about, somewhat about dispersal. So some countries have gone for that very concentrated look, pick a one or two institutions in your country, throw everything behind them. Um, that's not the approach we've taken in Ireland. In Ireland, we've you know, even a country as small as Ireland, the regions matter, making sure that there's opportunities for regional development, that there's opportunities to access universities in your community matters as well. So and rankings don't keep me awake at night. necessity mutually exclusive? Is it no. not possible to do the regional work while saying, well, let us pick one institution and make it an absolute paragon of virtue at the same time? No, I mean, sorry, they're not contradictory. And I think we are doing both to a degree. And as we increase the sustainable level of funding in higher education, as we increase the staffing, as we increase the investment in research, we're going to continue to see our university rankings improve. But at the end of my tenure in this role, if you'd ask me, would I rather be judged on you got the university rankings significantly increased or you actually took steps to really improve accessibility, affordability, inclusion in universities and their openness and um, to new ways of learning, flexible learning, online learning, blended learning. I'd much rather be judged on the latter. Can I ask you in, in that context what your view is of all university programmes being treated equally? It, have we come to the point where we should be looking at arts and humanities and saying, look, it, it is well and good if you want to get a degree in philosophy, but it doesn't butter any parsnips when it comes to actual employment and that's where we should be focused? No, so I have to, as an education minister, I have to slightly balk at that because education isn't just about employment, right? Clearly it's not. Education for education's sake is a good thing. However, 
uh, as a minister with responsibility for skills in this country, we do have an obligation, I think, to highlight where the skills shortages are in our country. And there is absolutely no doubt. We're not short uh, of philosophers. No, but we're certainly short of people working in construction. So you asked me about housing at the start of this uh, conversation. We need 50,000 more people working in construction by 2030. So one of my jobs and my department's jobs is to A, highlight those facts. So we published a national skills bulletin last year showing where the jobs now and into the future are likely to be. And then also to ask the universities, can they gear themselves up in relation to meeting those skills needs? Because our universities and our further education sector and our apprenticeship system does have a key role in making sure that yes, we have a great education system, but also making sure we can have plumbers and electricians and carpenters and people to build the homes that we need uh, for our people. And that's why today, for example, we're launching two new apprenticeship programmes in Atlantic Technological University in civil engineering. We now have 73 uh, apprenticeship programmes in Ireland. How, how fast are the universities in terms of being able to gear up? Because I wonder, do you always find yourself in a position where you hit the peak of a cycle, begin to prepare for it, and you're at the trough by the time you start having graduates emerge? So we're trying to get ahead of that as, as a country. I think the world is trying to get ahead of that. So not just asking ourselves the question as to what is the skills needs today, but where are the skills needs in five years, in 10 years? And there's so many people today, particularly tomorrow, who will go to work and probably believing they're in secure jobs not actually yet perhaps realising that the pace of change and technology and all of the transformation that's coming will mean that they'll need to upskill and reskill again. So if you apply the 20th century definition of education to this country, we're one of the best in the world. If you provide the 21st century definition, which includes lifelong learning, people in work needing to access education, we're just about above average. So my challenge and the challenge for the university sector now is to change more and more students are going to be in their 40s, holding down a full-time job, caring for their kids or their parents and trying to pay a mortgage and the rent. And they'll need to access education in through part-time courses, through blended learning, through online. And we have changed now the funding system from next September. We'll for the first time be providing an opportunity for people to have free fees if they have a certain income level uh, for online learning and part-time learning. I want to return to where we started, which is the, the issue of politics. Got a text saying, I'm 61 and a Fine Gael voter all of my life, but I have to give Sinn Féin a chance to sort out this country, especially as I have three adult children at home and no sign of them being able to put a roof over their heads. I want to retire with my wife with a health service that we can trust. Another one. I've voted for Fine Gael since I was old enough to. I've never felt more let down as I do now, failing in health, housing, defence and justice when the country is awash with money. I'll never vote Sinn Féin, though. That last bit, I assume, is, is small comfort. Well, firstly, I, I sometimes wonder when people text into radio stations <laughs> and say, I've been a Fine Gael voter all my life and then talk about how wonderful Sinn Féin are. One does wonder about, about this, but sure, let's, let's park that as a side. We, we have a lot of work to do between now and the next election. Uh, but I'm really energised about that work because I think the next election is going to be a real contest. It is going to be a battle of ideas and there is a real choice. What's is there a weariness though? Is there, is there just that natural point? Regardless, even if we set aside the big issues like the housing, like the cost of living, uh, like health, is there a sense of you, you, between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, you're in an awful lot? You know what? I get really annoyed when people say this because I think it is the only profession in the world where you would discard experience and try to suggest it's a bad thing. If I was lying down in a hospital theatre today and the surgeon was coming in to me and I was about to get the anaesthetic and be put off to sleep and the surgeon said, hello, Simon, it's my first day on the job. I'd feel a little bit more nervous as I was drifting off to sleep. Actually, experience matters. We saw it during Brexit. We saw it during COVID. There's a lot going right in this country too, Anton. And that can't be taken for granted. The world is extraordinarily uncertain at the moment. We see that with the geopolitical instability, a war on the continent of Europe, an inflationary crisis. This party in government 
has made a positive impact over the last decade and we're proud of that. We also know in politics the work is never done, the challenges are never gone and I certainly hope I don't come across in any way, shape or form as weary because I am up for this fight because the next election is going to matter and I tell you this, I am not going to lie down and allow the populace just take over this country without one hell of a battle. Simon Harris, Minister for Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science and of course TD for uh, Wicklow for Fine Gael. Thank you very much. The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk.